Hi everybody, good to speak to you. Uh, my name is Joel, I'm one of the leaders here in the church and uh, we are going through the book of Matthew. Uh, so if you've got your Bible with you, it's uh, very easy to find. First book in the New Testament, we are in chapter 7 today. I'm going to just read the first five verses from there in a moment and then we will get into what it has to say uh, to us. Just a quick uh, mention of an important bit of news uh, for you guys as a church. We've had um, over the last few weeks months even, a lot of uh, stuff coming at you about the, uh, the new site uh, in Hangleton, um, Emmanuel at Oasis, uh, as it shall be. Um, we uh, raised money in the spring term through our huge gift day uh, for uh, the, the chance to purchase the, the land, the property, and get started there. And uh, we raised over the course of that gift day, those, those, those few days or a couple of weeks after the, the, the gift day that we had back in the spring or early spring, uh, we raised around 300,000. If you, if you count uh, everything that's come in already, uh, it's 296,000 uh, pounds. That's not including some of the pledges uh, that we are just breaking a few fingers to get uh, the money from. No, I'm kidding. That's a, that's a bad joke. Um, there's just a, one or two bits of extra uh, pledges that are still coming in. And, uh, and, but, but we are absolutely delighted um, at, at this phenomenal amount of money that has already been raised. And we want to say, this is an exciting church. And uh, thank you so much for your involvement, for your enthusiasm, uh, for your courage and generosity. Uh, this is very exciting. And we're at the point where we are uh, just talking through, negotiating with the guys who, are, um, uh, who own the deeds of the building uh, about the kind of deal we can make. Uh, we, we don't yet have the, the news, the big news of the breakthrough in terms of um, how we're going to get hold of it. Uh, but we're very confident that God's with us and we're praying about it. Uh, our hope would be that we will get to launch the site fully this year. Uh, I'd love to launch it as a new site in the autumn term when we all relaunch. Uh, every autumn we kind of relaunch as a church across our sites and uh, I would love it if we launched wholeheartedly with a fifth site properly set up and uh, you know, name on the door as it were uh, in that part of the city. Uh, that would be fantastic. So please pray for us that we're able to get through the phases of negotiation and discussion to get full use of the, the property. Um, but thank you. want to let you know the news. Uh, it's all going forward slowly but surely and be encouraged. Okay, well, we're in uh, Matthew chapter 7, first five verses. And uh, this is really, as you'll see, is that the passage is read to us in a moment, uh, a, a teaching about judging and judgmentalism, uh, being judgmental. So this will be a very... Uh, simple short sermon because it's not really a problem for us. Uh, I'm sure none of you across the whole church from Shoreham right through to Hove to, to, uh, to the marina uh, and here in central Brighton, none of us have ever been judgmental. It's not really a big problem in our lives at all. Um, and on top of that, here we are in church and we all know that churches, religious people are never judgmental. So we know that there's no problem here at all. So this will be a very simple and quick sermon. I'm of course kidding. Uh, this is an area of special expertise for us as a religious people. Uh, we, I mean, I personally feel that like I'm one of the, the regional 
officers when it comes to being judgmental. I'm very skilled in it. I'm a professional. I've been well trained. I give a lot of my time to it weekly. And so I feel I have a lot to share with you guys about how to be more judgmental. I hope to make you uh, highly skilled in it by the end of this message. So let's, let's have the verses uh, from uh, Matthew 7, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into it. Today's reading is taken from Matthew 7, verses 1 to 6. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let me set this message out uh, with a kind of framework of five questions that sort of fit together. The first question being, how are we like God? Uh, The second question being, how do we want to be like God? The third question, why can we not be like God in the way that we want to be? The fourth question, how are we called to be like God? And then the fifth question, how can we become more like God? That might sound like a peculiar uh, outline for a message on judgmentalism, but I'm convinced that actually it's our likeness to God that is at the heart of this whole problem. Um, Start with this, this question, how are we like God? How are we already like God? Are human beings like God at all? Well, the Bible says that we are. The Bible says that we're made in his image. We are in his likeness as human beings, every human being, every single human being uh, from the womb is, is in the image, in the likeness of God. Unlike other creatures, uh, whatever they may be, on whatever planet they may be, there's something distinct, uh, there's something extraordinary about the human race. And that's partly shown in our capacity to make judgments. We we habitually, (laughs) incessantly judge. We we make moral judgments. We make aesthetic judgments. uh, We make uh, reasonable judgments. We we are constantly trying to classify, to understand, to set things straight, to, to put the world in some kind of order. We can't not do it. You, you, you might actually read this command of Jesus and make the, 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 the mistake that some people have made of trying to imagine that he, he is literally saying that it is wrong to ever make any kind of discerning judgment at all. It's wrong to, to sort of think in, in terms of categorization. You physically can't live that way. You have to read it carefully because if, if he's saying that, then he's actually contradicting himself. This, this sermon doesn't work if he's saying that because he's only going to say in a few verses time some things that require us to use our critical faculties, to use our abilities as judges, to, to obey him. So when he's saying don't judge, he, he can't be saying don't think critically. Don't use your mind critically. Don't use your, don't use your mind discerningly. He's not saying that. He knows that we will, or at least we'll try to. We can't not. It's part of being human. It's like saying don't breathe. It wouldn't work. You maybe have seen that movie uh, with Jim Carrey in from about mm, five to ten years ago called Yes Man. 
uh, which I judge to be about five out of ten. All right, so there you go, straight away. I'm in there making right as soon as I said the movie, some of you were sitting there saying, "Yeah, wasn't that good? Yeah, it was quite good," because because you're judges. And uh, there's this this guy in the the protagonist in the film, Jim Carrey, is this guy who decides to wake up one morning saying yes to everything. He decides to never say no to anything ever again. And it's kind of a, you know, it's a sort of clever film, well, it's semi-clever, showing how how his life kind of (laughs) hits self-destruct as a result. You know, what what happens when you try and live that way? Uh, Because you can't. It's, it's, it's just impossible. I mean, ultimately, physically, you can't do it. Because you're going you're gonna to make judgments as, as a human being on many, many levels, including on the moral level, which is really what this, 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 this message is about. What Jesus is talking about here is our, mor- our moral judging, our tendency to say, well, that's right, and that's wrong, and that shouldn't be, and that should be, and this is good, and that's bad. We just do it. And, and actually, it's perhaps for many of us a complete mystery as to why we do it. I mean, animals don't do that. Not really. Not in the same way. They just don't live on the same plane, as it were. They do things that if humans did, we would say, oh, that's pretty bad. But, but you don't catch David Attenborough on the, on the documentary saying, well, that was naughty. You know, there's, ne- there's never any kind of moral kind of grading. It's, it's just, just animals. They just, they just do stuff, right? They just do stuff. They don't get, they don't get put on trial for it. And, and, and human beings are completely different in that respect. We, we expect about stuff. We expect justice. We expect goodness. We, we care about stuff. And a lot of people, including some very clever people, philosophers, really wrestle with this. Where did this come from? Including a, a, a French atheist philosopher. I think he's an atheist. Certainly not a Christian. Luke, Luke uh, um, oh, I've forgotten his, his surname now. This is... Silly of me, I've got it written down. Luke Ferry, that's right. Many of you, I'm sure you've all heard of Luke Ferry. You should have been reading him before breakfast. He says this, I, I am not persuaded by the argument that I merely chose ethical values. I cannot invent mathematical truths, nor the beauty of a work of art, nor the imperatives of a moral life. They impose themselves on me as if they come from elsewhere. This is a guy who's not a Christian. He's saying, I know these things aren't cooked up from inside. They are, they, they, they're somewhere, these values of what's right and wrong, they come from they're somewhere. They're, some, they're real. They are real things. They impose themselves. I cannot not know this. I can't stop knowing that something is wrong and something's right. I, I can't escape that reality. And I think he's facing up to something that the Bible would have a very neat, clean explanation for, at least a very clear and simple explanation. And that is that we are not like animals in an important respect because we're made in God's image. We, we are creatures of judgment. We make judgment all the time because, in fact, we were designed to. We were made to. God created the human race to be image bearers, to judge things, to represent him, to rule, to lead creation, to be kings and queens. That's what we're here to do. But maybe you've had this experience of leaving someone in charge, 
Have you done this? Some of you parents have done this. You've left one of the kids in charge of the other kids, or you, you, perhaps if you're a boss or a, uh, you, you manage an office or you, you, you run a factory floor or something, or you're a teacher, school teacher, you, you be in charge. I've got to go up the corridor to get some, some paper clips or some, uh, could you just be in charge? And you come back and you think, what's happened is not what I would have done. What's happened is I left little Johnny in charge of his little sister, and this whole house has become a shrine to the dictatorship of little Johnny. This whole, this, it's like a kind of, it's like he's running his like fourth Reich here in this, in this house because you, you, I left him responsibility and instead of, of, of exercising responsibility towards me, the rightful ruler, he's kind of in, declared independence and turned it into his own little fiefdom. That's, that's the human race. We were called to judge on his behalf, but what we've done is says we judge on ours. We make judgment about us, what suits us, our preferences, our, our, our purpose, our plan. So we, this is good, this is bad, that's wrong, that's right. And we've got this funny mixture. We know that there's something at the back of our head saying, yeah, but there is a good and there's a bad that's nothing to do with my preferences. Really, deep down I know. <laughs> it's not really up to me. But I also want to squeeze the judgments I make into my agenda. My personal goal, my personal preference. And so it fits in with what the Bible says. The human experience is so well explained by the Bible. It says that from the beginning, evil came to our first human parents and said, you could be just like God. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, you will be as gods. If you go your own way, you be your own gods, be your own judge. And then... The rest follows. So that's how we are like God. But it's not how we'd like to be like God. We don't want to be the gods who judge on someone else's behalf. We want to be the judges that are superior even to God himself. Have you noticed that? I mean, this is our second question we're on to now. How, how would we like to be like God? We'd like to be like God by judging others. And bizarrely enough, it means we even will judge him. We'll put him in the dock. We'll say, if I was God, I would do it differently. And if there is a God, he should do this. And I, I don't like God very much. I, I'm seriously a total atheist. I don't believe in God at all because I hate him. And, and, and I'm not exaggerating. That's what you get a lot from people who often claim to be disbelievers. A sense of, it's not just that you're not saying he's not there. You're saying you particularly hate him because we, we put ourselves in the position of judges over him very often. And so we make judgments, but we make it really based on ourselves as the superior person. Have you noticed how we do that? Have you noticed yourself doing that? I've, I've noticed that when I'm judging somebody, I am making myself superior. It serves me. It suits me. It helps me to become that higher up the food chain creature. I'm, I'm judging. And they may be someone much wealthier than me. They may be more powerful than me. In, in reality, they may be more noble than me. They may be more virtuous than me. But when I'm making my judgments, I feel greater than them. If I'm, if I'm opening up a conversation, especially, and that takes it to another level, doesn't it? Have you heard about what she's done? Have you heard about what he's... Have you, I'll tell you what. I, just, I, 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 shouldn't, I don't really want... I don't want to gossip about them, but just, I think you should know this about them. 
And, and what I'm doing is I'm actually using my judgment of this person to put myself in a place of authority, a place of superiority, to become like God. I'm, 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 I'm putting myself over. That's how we like to be like God. That's, that's how we want to be. That's how we imagine God-likeness, being greater. Because God's greater, right? Isn't that what God is? God's more powerful. And I want, I want to be like him. And so I use judgment. I use slander, maybe. I use negative thinking. Or I just diss people, whether to their faces or not. Whether just in my own imagination, my own personal quiet narrative that I'm building up of of this person, my own one or two dimensional version of what's really going on in their life, what they're really like, the way I squeeze them down to the most binary evaluation, the way I sort of press them and narrow them down to just a few really kind of bestial motives. Yeah, I know that person. I know what's really going on under their skin. I, I, know, I know what they're really like. It was the last time you, you found yourself really irritated or annoyed by somebody. Maybe you're just scrolling on Instagram and you just, ugh, that person. Just, but if I unfollow them, they'll know I unfollowed them. And you, you can kind of go through in your mind all these things that, why do I dislike that person? Have you considered the way you are judging them? Have you considered the way your evaluation or your appreciation or your lack of appreciation of them? It's, it's, it's your way of becoming greater than them because you're reducing them to a few annoyances. What they are is an annoyance. And you are not an annoyance. You are God. <laughs> you are the judge. You're... You're a wide and broad person with many nuances and lots of things that many people wouldn't understand. I mean, this person would never understand me. But you understand them just by looking at an Instagram picture. You understand, you've completely sussed them out in seconds, nanoseconds, because of your great powers as a judge. This is how we, we like or how we want to be judges. And, and the third question, why, why can't we be like God? Why can't we be? Because, well, Jesus himself is saying in, in, in this passage, perhaps one of the more famous sayings that we attribute, that we have from Jesus, one of the most famous, say, you know, all around the world, this would be one of the most well-known quotes of, of Jesus himself. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that is in your own? It's genuinely funny. It's, it's meant to be. If anyone ever says Jesus doesn't have a sense of humor or he's not funny, I promise you this is funny. And, and at the time, I think it would have been probably as close to stand-up comedy as you get in the Gospels. It would have been funny. This is, this is a ludicrous situation he's portraying. But he's, he's, he's not just entertaining us. He's wisely using entertainment to pin us to the wall. He's saying, you, you people, you are at your most deceived when you think you are at your most discerning. When you, when you think you're being so critically sharp, that's when you are most dangerously blind. 
And it's in tune with what the Bible says repeatedly. You could be almost quoting Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. That the heart is deceived and desperately wicked. Who can know it? This is Jeremiah the prophet in the Old Testament speaking about the, the fallen human race. The human heart is, is deceived. Who can know it? He says, who can know it? Is the, 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 the question that rings through the ages. Who can really know what's going on under the surface of the human heart? There's a lot of people that are pretty convinced. You know, a lot of experts who are sure, oh, I've really got insight into what's going on into everybody's heart. I've sussed everybody out. I've just filleted them. I just know what's going on. Oh, I'm a very good judge of character. Jeremiah's question pierces through the white noise. Who can know? Don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself, Sigmund Freud. Don't kid yourself, whoever, Abraham Maslow. Don't kid yourself, guy in the pub. You don't know yourself let alone the guy sitting next to you. You don't even know the, the, the great big telephone pole in your eye. And Paul says the same in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, I, I, don't, I, I don't care what judgments you make of me. In fact, I don't even care what judgments I make of me. Have you read that bit, 1 Corinthians 4? I don't, even, I don't care about my own. I don't even care about my self-image. Because it's going to be wrong. There is one judge, he says. We're obsessive, 21st century people, about our self-conception, our self-image, our self-esteem, <laughs> our self-understanding, our self-actualization. And Paul says, I don't even care about that because it's wrong. I don't even know myself. How can I expect to really know you? I think I do. I get some gleanings. But the best gleanings I get are on the other side of a fairly painful process of self-awareness. The best understanding I get of you will come on the other side of a fairly brutal understanding of me. That's what he's saying. Oh, to be fair, he's not giving us no hope. He, he even gives us, throws it in very, very importantly uh, at the end of verse 5, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. There is such a thing. We'll come to this before we finish. There is such a thing as seeing the speck in someone's eye and helping them, but, but not before pff, something that sounds fairly painful from a sort of surgical point of view. First, take the log out of your own. That sounds a lot more complicated. Sounds a lot more taxing and probably a bit more emotional, a bit more painful but essential, unavoidable. So how, how is it that we can't be like God? Because we're, we're not as clever as we think. We're, we're literally up to our eyeballs in just self-deception. And it does, it does cancel out a lot of our our understandings of other people's problems. When I'm most 
close to the nub when I'm most sitting down and sussing something. Yeah, the whole problem with him, yeah, yeah, when I'm really getting there over my latte or my, my glass of sherry and I'm really kind of, yeah, I think I've, yeah, the whole problem. That is when I'm probably, probably most wrong. This is painful, isn't it? It's painful. We, we need this so much, don't we? Because we, we do this. And friends, we do do this, even in, even in our response to judgmental people. Many of us, we read the Gospels, we see Jesus sticking it to the judgmental people. And we're on his side. Oh, I'm right there with you, Jesus. Those judgmental people. We do it in every direction. We do it on whichever side of the political debate. See, maybe a few generations ago, it would have been sexual immorality that was the prime target of judgmentalism. And people were terrified of, of being seen and the shame and the scandal of any kind of misdemeanor, any kind of sexual mistake, any sexual failure, moral failure, sexual... It, it was hugely scandalous. Now, in a strange way, it's still scandalous today in a kind of shell kind of way. But in reality, we, we kind of, here in Brighton at least, and Shoreham and, and across the city, we pride ourselves on being fairly free from that kind of judgmentalism because we tolerate everything. No, we're tolerant. We're not judges. We're not judgmental. We, we love being tolerant of everything. But if you don't put the rubbish in the right bins, exactly, we will have you. We find some way. We find, we find some criteria for providing a, a position of superiority for ourselves. If it's not over sexual immorality, it'll be about whether you voted for or against Brexit. It will be, it'll be which, which side you pick on this issue. Are you in favour of these kinds of schools? Are, are you in favour of, of the NHS? Are you really? Are, are you in, are, what, what do you say about this issue? Which hashtags are you retweeting? It's, it's, it's going to happen some way. It's going to escape out of the... It's going to find a crack. So it's no good saying, well, I'm not a judgmental kind of guy. I'm just I'm tolerant. Let's, let's be a bit more patient. Let's, let's reflect a little bit more closely. We're quick to assume that we know. We're quick to make judgments. We're quick to even make kind of sometimes quite sort of amateur psychology Judgments on people. You know, to the person who has a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And we've read one paperback on, on psychotherapy. I've read one book on everybody's problem. And suddenly I know. Well, yeah, I know what the problem with him is. Yeah, I know. He always is because he's going through this. Yeah, you read a paperback, mate. There's more going on under the surface than that. There, there is more. Jesus wants us to get here. We don't, we don't, the, the heart is deceitful. Who can know it? We don't even know our own and this is no ultimately light matter even though Jesus uses comedy to provoke us because the fact is that this is the disease that does decimate relationships so some of us this is the the flat-out reason why a marriage didn't work this is the flat-out reason why we didn't get married, maybe. Or this is the flat-out reason why 
Our friendships have not really advanced as much as we hope. This is the reason why our our relationships in the office are just not as good as we'd like. Maybe it's the reason why our friendships just... We don't really have many of them. And we may be even fond of pointing out the other reasons why we haven't got as many friends. And they, they haven't been friendly to me. They haven't. They've not been there for me. And we have never really considered, we've never ever done this. Wait a minute, is there stuff that I... Did I do something to my marriage? Did I, did I bring that about, that collapse? Was I to blame? Really? We've just never gone there. We'd, we'd rather do anything than go there. It touches such a raw nerve. We just, oh, no, don't go there, don't go there. And it's, it's the cause of breakdown. It's the cause of sorrow. It's the cause of shallowness in our life. There's a, there's a place in the Psalms where, where, where it's, it's, it's this kind of description of, of, of what happens when a person soaks too long in judgmentalism. He clothes himself with cursing as his coat. May it soak into his body like water. This is Psalm 109. Like oil into his bones. May it be like a garment that he wraps around him, like a belt that he puts on every day. This is, this is, this is stuff that, that gets under us and gets into us and, and, it, and it, it chokes and it strangles and it corrupts and it, it spoils. And so Jesus says in verse 2, with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He's not, he's not playing around. He's not. He's not. He's not just saying that to be poetic. It's not just a nice slogan for the wall. He's warning you and me. You're going to get judged for your, for your judgmentalism. You're going to face a judge. And some of you, you're re receiving in your body already the corruption that's in advance. You're already in your life. Your, your relationships are getting closed down. and you, You're just waking up in the morning bitter. That's how you feel most of the day and then most of the next day. And people try to talk to you about it and they don't get anywhere. Maybe you even call yourself a Christian and you kind of think, this, my Christianity isn't working for me. But you've never, it's like you've just not understood that Jesus is going to pull the lid off your heart and, and talk about what's underneath and, 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 and speak to you about if you want to be like God, you're going to get judged by the real God, the real judge. You will. You will and, and it will happen in life and after life. This is, this is plain reality, and Jesus is kindly warning us today in this verse for our good. might not sound for our good right now, but we're not finished yet. How are we called to be like God? Because that's what we're called to be. Jesus is hopeful in the Sermon on the Mount. You might have noticed back in chapter 5, he, he has this extraordinary verse, be holy or be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Interesting challenge. Be perfect, 
even as your father is perfect. And we, we hear that as a you know, sort of a tough bar to clear, but it's perhaps even more striking to see where he says it. Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, be perfect, even as your heavenly father is perfect. Do you know what the context is? It's in the context of loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you. See, if I want to be like God, I want to do what Adam did. I want to be like God by snatching power. That's what it is to be like God, right? I want to be like God, therefore I get to judge everybody because that's what God does. God judges everybody. So that's my job. If we're going to be like God, right? Jesus says, here, be like God. Be like God. Love people who hate you. (laughs) Pray for people when they're crucifying you. Pray for them. Because that's what God's like. No, 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 that's not what, no, 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 that's not what God's like. No, no, I, no, no. God is the one who wears a wig and has a gavel and, and sends people down. Because I know better than Jesus what my heavenly Father is like, right? Jesus says, no, I've come to show you the Father. I've come to show you what he's like. I've come to reveal God to you. No one's seen God, but God the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth, he has made him known. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. He says in Luke's gospel, it's even more plain, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. It's not fascinating. Matthew says, be perfect. Luke, same verse, be merciful. <laughs> From the lips of Jesus, they're kind of synonymous in this situation. What is the, how is the perfection of God shown? In astonishing mercy. This is what God is like. How are we called to be like God? To show mercy that surprises people. To, to love people, to show charitable love to people when you wouldn't expect it, when it would never come naturally. That's why the psalmist says back in the Psalms, in Psalm 130, if you, O God, would mark iniquities, in other words, if you were a judgmental God, how could we stand? If, if God really was just a judgmental God, why are we even here, right? But with you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. It's this very God, this merciful, this kind, gracious God who's who's shown himself to us. And his, his extraordinary difference to us is not in the fact that he's just like us. In losing his temper and judging out of vindictive pride and self righteousness. No, his difference, the way he's different than us is in his, why are you not doing that? How, how is it that we're given any grace? Jesus, Jesus shows it most dramatically, not just in the way he teaches about the Father, but Jesus shows it in his life and Jesus shows it in his death. If, if we've got the problem of eyes crusted over with planks of wood, because of our sin, because of our failure, Jesus is the only 
ever human being to walk this earth with 2020 vision. He is the only person ever to see clearly, infinitely clearly. He saw, John says so, Jesus knew, he knew the hearts of men. He knew what was in their hearts. Like no one ever, like more than Shakespeare, more than the greatest philosophers and theologians, he knows people. Jesus knows people. And what does Jesus say? Shame on you! And he walks around in Galilee just seeing the mess, the junk in people's hearts. Shame on you! As my friend Glenn Scrivener says, Jesus didn't come to say shame on you. He came to say, shame on me. Put it on me. All of it on me. That's what happened on the cross. Jesus received the shame. Jesus took it on himself completely. So Jesus shows us the true God. Jesus does the unthinkable, it would seem. I love these words from John Stott. The concept of substitution may be said to lie at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives that belong to God alone. God accepts penalties that belong to man alone. This is how we're called to be like God. You might say, how on earth can that happen? How could that possibly be? <laughs> how could we ever come close? And it starts in reality with coming to, to recognize the plank in our eye. It starts there. It starts with our acknowledgement. It starts with the beginning to accept the level of lack. I've told you before, a preacher who was uh, struggling because of some cruel, nasty things people were saying publicly against him. And he went to God and prayed and cried out, God, why are they being so slanderous about me? Why is this happening? Why are they so cruel to me? And God's answer came back to him and said, don't, don't worry. The worst thing that they can say about you is not as bad as the truth. And I tell you, it set him free. See, the good news is this. Cheer up, you're worse than you think. <laughs> I'm serious. That's the answer. Oh, God, this is a big problem. I'm so judgmental. You bet it's worse than you think. It's worse than you think. Is it really? Oh, yeah. Jesus paid it all. That's the big problem. The problem in someone else, the speck in someone else's eye, we'll get to that. But to start with, Jesus is a great saviour. It it's a bleak message, isn't it, to think of the sorrow and the, 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 the pain that we might bring to the heart of God. But, but friends, don't stop there. Do not stop there. Do not. Please hear me, every single one of you watching this everywhere. 
This sermon is not intended to drag you down to the depths of morose introspection. It is not. This passage is not. Because Jesus said, take the, take the beam out, then go to your brother. There's a place for loving each other and correcting each other gently. There's a place to do it in the gentleness of the Holy Spirit, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. There's a lovely place for saying to a brother or a sister, I love you too much. Can I just talk to you about this thing in your life? I really want to help you. There's a beautiful place for that. It's actually around the communion table is a good place for it. There's a place for, for, for genuinely speaking the truth in love. And there couldn't be if there wasn't hope, could there? If the message of the Son of the Mount was give up, guys, you're just a judgmental brood of snakes. No hope for you. Abandoned. Every one of you. Quit. He could have said that. But he's a saviour. He's come to restore the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve. He's come to raise us up, give us back our dignity and our calling, and help us to truly judge wisely. Church is full of people, actually, who do judge wisely. Churches can be. Churches must be. (laughs) By the grace of God, we will be. As we keep our eyes on Jesus. Say, God, forgive me. God, help me. God, rescue me from my judgment. Rescue me from my pride. Rescue me from my empowering myself. Lord, keep me humble. Let me be like you, a God who humbles himself. And let me lift my brothers and sisters up. Help me to trust them and love them and, 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 and join them at the communion table. Join them in our repentance, in our confession. Join, join them at that place of need. Listen to those who bring things to me. Help me to have a soft heart. Help me to not be too spiritual. Help me not pretend that I'm examining myself while I'm on my own. We sometimes do that, don't we? Oh, Lord, search me out. Examine my heart. And he sends a brother or a sister to help in the process, and we don't want to know. But we're going to have to, because the way that God will deal with us is is together. But, friends, it it will have the comfort And this is really hopeful for us. The joy and the wonder is that the people who follow Jesus, they they get to live on on the other side of redemptive grace. They get to, to, sometimes with tears, having looked at the reality of sin in their own heart, and the, 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 the extraordinary wonder, the jaw-dropping might of God's mercy in their life. They, they get to share, enjoy together, and help each other on the road. Help each other on the road. Yes, we are worse than we think we are. But Jesus is much, much greater than we think he is. He is greater than your sin, even your sin of judgmentalism. His grace is greater. So stay there. For every one look at yourself, take ten looks at him and settle on his grace in your life. Remember it, rejoice in it, and live out of the good of it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us through your Son. We confess we, we have darkness without your light we have hopelessness without your hope and we just ask you to keep revealing him all the more all the more because he's he is the only way we can start to live free from our our pride and sin 
We, we want more of Jesus every day. Amen.